If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. This episode is the second of two parts on pharmacogenomics, which in turn are part of our occasional series on precision medicine. By definition, courtesy of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, precision medicine is, quote, a form of medicine that uses information about a person's own genes or proteins to prevent, diagnose, or treat disease. Under the broad umbrella of precision medicine falls pharmacogenomics, and within the field of pharmacogenomics, Nemours is involved in both research, as we heard on our last episode, and clinical application, as we'll hear today. Joining me to talk about that are pharmacists Dr. Benjamin Duong and Dr. Kelsey Cook. Dr. Duong is the Clinical Pharmacogenomics Service Manager based at NCH Delaware. Dr. Cook is a Nemours Clinical Pharmacogenomics Specialist based in Jacksonville. But let's back up just a little and learn about pharmacogenomics with a definition from Dr. Benjamin Duong. Pharmacogenomics, you know, it's a big, scary word, and sometimes it's very hard to talk to patients uh, when you start off with that word, but it's essentially pharmacy plus genomics. And as uh, you heard from the previous episode with the research side of pharmacogenomics, it's essentially like genetic testing and using genetic testing results to help determine a patient's response to a certain medication. So from a clinical perspective, why is pharmacogenomics important to Nemours? and the children we treat and serve. Kelsey. So pharmacogenomics is a pretty unique tool that can help us better select and dose medications for patients. So with a lot of traditional medicine, you know, we use a lot of trial and error prescribing. There might be 10 different drugs that you can pick to treat a condition, and we don't always know which one's going to be best for a patient. So what we can do with pharmacogenomics is use this additional piece of information on top of all the other things that make a patient unique and put that together to usually help us narrow down that list of medications that might be appropriate for a patient and really removing medications that maybe they have a higher risk to have side effects based on their genetic information, or maybe they have an increased chance that they're not going to respond to a medication leading to treatment failure. So it really helps us kind of narrow in on something or a better option for a patient and really helps us to just further individualize or personalize treatment figure out what might be best for an individual patient. And even in some cases, if we learned last time around, avoiding surgery. Absolutely. Ben, anything to add to that? I think Dr. Cooper, Kelsey covered the, it pretty well. It's, you know, it's, it's very important to Nemours as, you know, one of our goals for Nemours is creating the healthiest generation of kids and, and doing what we can to take away some of that trial and error that our kiddos may face with their conditions, some of their medications and we do what we can to fill in that puzzle piece for our patients and try 
you know, narrow down our treatment options and help providers and patients get to where they need to go with their help. Ben, I want to ask you, what about the creation of the Nemours Clinical Pharmacogenomic Service? How did that come about? Where does it stand today? So I was hired back in 2018 to help start off this pharmacogenomic service. And when I first came here, I had to assess, well, what are the main components of establishing a pharmacogenetic service? One is we need uh, some kind of source of genetic testing or for specifically our pharmacogenomic testing. We need some kind of clinical decision support or informatics so that when we get these complex results and these genetic results kind of stay with us for a long time, they can be stored in the medical records and be used throughout their life to identify future drug gene interactions that the patient may face. And then lastly, it really takes a village and we're working with various departments, various folks on building processes like on the billing side with the molecular diagnostic on how do we get cheek swap sample or blood sample and then how we get the results into the medical records. Uh, we do a lot of education for building it with the provider education as well as the patient education level too through like our websites like Kids Health having a pharmacogenomics page. So really the creation of pharmacogenomics is, takes the village and a lot of wonderful support from our leadership with Mary Lee, with Vicky Fernandez, Pam R., and then the, my leadership, like Captain Blake, on creating this pharmacogenomic service that we want to provide guidance or help our providers across the enterprise from in Delaware Valley all the way down to Florida. And it's a natural extension of all of the research that's been going on at Nemours for, for many, many years. Talk about some of the clinical areas where pharmacogenomics is being used in a clinical sense. Ben, do you want to take that one? So pharmacogenomics can influence many different medications and even one gene that can guide us for a particular medication can have implications for a different medication in a different area. Um, so one of the common areas for pharmacogenomics is in the mental health field, especially with antidepressants like the, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs. And those, some of those same genes, the CYP2C19 and CYP2D6, are also involved with the breakdown of opioids or the proton pump inhibitors that the previous episode mentioned, as well as nausea medication. So a lot of the clinical areas is a lot in the mental health field, some for pain management, there's some with some cancer medications that we have to be very careful of with the dosing based on some of those genes. And as well as supportive care in those patients with complex conditions or those cancer patients where not only are they getting treatment from their chemo medication, but they also need treatment for their mental health, for the acid reflux they may develop or the pain that they also have, as well as the nausea medications. And so it does go across a wide uh, number of clinical areas, I would say not all medications are affected by genetics, only certain ones that we know of at this time, and mostly on the breakdown side of medication. So as testing grows, presenting this to parents is a big part of what you do. What are some of the counseling points for healthcare providers as they talk to their patients about pharmacogenomics? Kelsey? So I think one of the big things that we always try to talk about with providers and with patients is setting expectations. So not all medications are known to be impacted by genetic variation. So it's a big sort of take-home point that right now there's only certain medications that we know are going to be impact impacted by genetic variation. So we really want to do 
testing in scenarios where we know that the results are going to be clinically meaningful. Another, you know, kind of similarly in setting expectations is that this isn't like an end-all be-all magic wand that's going to perfectly pick the right medication every single time for every single patient. It's just kind of another tool in our toolkit to help make decisions about what kind of medications might be best for a patient. So one thing to talk with providers too is that even being a normal metabolizer for a genetic variant does not mean that they are going to break down that medication as expected. There are a lot of different factors can be involved. And sometimes saying that a patient is a normal metabolizer to that medication can also mean that the medication works, but what if there's something else that's interfering with how that patient responds? It could be another diagnosis. It can be just the medication itself because many medications will have side effects or efficacy changes depending on various factors like the patient age, weight, other medications, the thing that they eat or drink, the exercise level. So uh, it's really that one piece of the puzzle. There's so much to it. There's so much to it. Do either of you, I'm curious, ever work directly with patients on the floor with regard to clinical treatment in the area of pharmacogenomics? So we do have a couple consults on the inpatient side. Usually it's, we more so talk to the direct or to the treatment team directly as we don't want to kind of interfere or especially during COVID times, a lot of our information, we just kind of deliver and investigate through the chart and talk to the treatment team directly. But we do have some consults when a patient receives this, they come in with this unusual response to a medication or they had a medication during their inpatient stay. And it had a weird reaction. They, they had the standard protocol. They followed the right dosing, but it was completely unexpected on how they respond. Sometimes they contact us for those cases to see, is there a pharmacogenetic variant involved with the breakdown of that medication, let's say with their anesthesia medication, or is there any need for pharmacogenetic testing that we can have the patient do and then get the results at time of follow-up after they get discharged? Most of our consults are done on the outpatient side because pharmacogenetic testing does take some time to get completed. It takes about a few weeks, depending on when we get the sample. There are some uh, interactions uh, really help guide to see if there's some kind of explanation that we can give, but not so much. It's mostly done on the outpatient where we can follow the patient and inform them of how these results can affect their treatment, really their chronic treatment. I'm wondering if there is a case that you know of where pharmacogenomics, without going into a lot of details so that you know, we can protect uh, privacy, where pharmacogenomics has really made a difference on the level of right there with that particular patient. So the, the typical case in the patient side is like really those leukemia, those ALL patients that when they are in the hospital, Sometimes they require a strong chemo medication or strong medication called a thiopurine or like azathioprine or captopurine. When we get those genetic tests, that's where the doctor will follow the protocol and dose adjust them based on the, on the inpatient side. If they are inpatient, they do go to the, do have a couple of visits in order to, to be treated for their condition. And so those, we have that type of genetic testing that is part of standard of care for those leukemia patients. And if the patient, let's say, is a poor metabolizer for, let's say, the TPMT uh, G, that means that they require a tenth of the dose given almost three times a week. Now, this is only seen in about like well, less than 1% of populations, but that's a very 
dramatic dose change. And when we do find that result and it can be very critical, it can be very fatal if we do not dose adjust based on the result. Another example of a inpatient case was uh, about the, it was an anesthesia patient. Now, anesthesia has conflicting evidence with pharmacogenetics, but there's some trending information about if some particular genes can affect how the patient may respond. Now, the patient and providers know that uh, any pharmacogenetics information due to the lack of evidence cannot directly change their medication or cannot really reverse the reaction they have. But knowing this, we can do pursue pharmacogenetic testing and next time they go surgery or they need to have post-op pain medication, we may be able to help prevent it from occurring again or having some little more insight to be a little bit more cautious. It sounds like pharmacogenomics hand in hand with AMOC, hand in hand with anesthesia, there's a good back and forth and there's a real, as we say, precision to what is happening there. Is that the case? I agree. Yeah. So Kelsey Cook works closely with some of the chronic pain service there, helps them with their anesthesia or giving some insight about pain medications. And I would say it also goes like hand in hand on the mental health area. Ideally earlier on in the patient's anxiety, depression, we could kind of predict that ahead of time. We can get them on that kind of closer to the right antidepressant or anxiety medications a little bit faster. Some of these anxiety depression medications can take four to six weeks to really see an effect. But if it was a patient as an ultra rapid metabolizer, we're just going to essentially that four to six weeks really won't help their anxiety depression. On the other end, if the patient was a poor metabolizer, they're getting a lot of side effects from those antidepressants. Kelsey, expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So in addition to kind of chronic pain management and mental health, we can also do pharmacogenetic testing for some other conditions and other clinical specialties. So for example, we could look at some of the medications used for rheumatology, some medications used for gastroenterology. So commonly used medication are proton pump inhibitors or PPIs used for heartburn or GERD. We can do pharmacogenetic testing to help dose those medications in certain scenarios. Trying to think some other ones, some neurology medications we can do pharmacogenetic testing for. So it's really something that spans across all clinical specialties because there are just, you know, it's a wide variety of medications that are impacted by a genetic variation. And some of these medications can be used for a bunch of different indications across different clinical specialties. So it's a pretty wide use. As I'm hearing the two of you talk, it sounds like the potential for pharmacogenomics is really unlimited, but there are limitations. There are challenges, especially in the areas of billing and insurance coverage. Tell me more about that, Ben. So at this time, pharmacogenetic testing clinically is still sometimes considered investigational or experimental. And so that sometimes makes it difficult to have some coverage. The costs for a pharmacogenetic test, if we do it in-house, you know, the more as we develop our own pharmacogenetic testing panel, it's just a couple hundred dollars, but there are some commercial companies that have a little bit different way of interpreting things, but also LabCorp and Quest also has a pharmacogenetic test. But most of the time, billing is a little bit of a challenge because most commercial insurances consider this as investigational or experimental. We do see there is a change and change for accepting pharmacogenetic testing. One case is, I think, December of 2021, the local coverage determination or the Medicare administrative contractor group for the Delaware Valley, like Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and as well as Florida has introduced a 
local coverage determination for Medicare patients on pharmacogenomic testing and would cover it as long as the patient was indicated for a drug that has that CPIC or FDA pharmacogenics. And so there is some change. We're not sure how long it'll, you know, from those Medicare policy will pass, get towards the commercial policies and Medicaid, but we do see some change and some improvement on the coverage. But overall, even without coverage, the test is a couple hundred dollars and some patients are willing to still, you know, even sometimes they wish to skip insurance piece to get the results right away because they just want to know the answers as possible. But the cost, the insurance coverage is sometimes a limitation and challenge. And then I would say education, it can be sometimes a challenge as well as a lot of our patients, about half my consults, patients have heard about pharmacogenomic testing through a family of bread. They may have done it themselves or even the online forum. And so they do come towards their provider. They come towards us saying that, you know, we want this genetic test for the best medication and that I'll get the right medication right away for my child. But in reality, it's not exactly, it's what Dr. Cook said earlier about setting expectations. It help us narrow down that treatment, but not exactly get us, uh, we'll find that the best medication at this time for your child because there's so many other pieces of puzzles involved. Kelsey, any other limitations, challenges that you're seeing from your perspective? Absolutely. So in trying to expand our service to Florida, um, it's definitely been a challenge just to figure out operationally how things are going to work. So we have a lab that's up in Delaware. So just coordinating things like sample collection, getting the sample up to our lab in Delaware, adding kind of an additional billing complication, just the fact that the lab is in Delaware. It's something that we've been working on and we're really trying to figure out how to have this service available to our entire Nemours enterprise. So some of these just workflows and logistical components have been a bit of a challenge to get this up and running. Let me ask this. What's what's coming up? What's on the horizon for clinical pharmacogenomics? Kelsey? So I think as we're seeing more research come out to discover new associations between different drugs and um different genes, we'll continue to see new guidelines coming out for new gene drug pairs. We'll see updates to current clinical guidelines. And I'm really hoping what we'll see is better insurance coverage. And then some of our clinical guidelines that are not pharmacogenomically centered, including recommendations for pharmacogenetic testing. So as we really start to see better evidence that shows you know, pharmacogenomic guided therapy compared to standard of care, we're really seeing better outcomes in patients in the we're getting the pharmacogenomic testing done, I think we'll see some of our other clinical guidelines start to make recommendations for clinical testing prior to using certain medications, which should then hopefully help with insurance reimbursement. Ben, any thoughts? I would say generally, you know, I think we do see on the prize of this push for making pharmacogenetic testing more standard of care. Like Dr. Cook says, with getting more of the non-pharmacogenetics clinical guidelines or accepting the like NCCF, the National Cancer Guidelines, do have recommendations for the TBMT and NUTT15 testing in those leukemia patients as strongly recommended to help guide their treatment. And so we expect to see more of those guidelines to also incorporate similar guidance on when to treat or when to use these types of pharmacogenetic testing. Especially on the gene and discovery side, Dr. Blake from the last episode talked about the All of Us trial. Although this is mostly focused on the adult, 
this is going to be 1 million patients that's going to be recruited. They're about like 500,000 now. And that has, it's just going to be a rich set of data of patients, environmental, uh, like survey data with their medical records and genetic data that researchers kind of tap into and find new discoveries of some gene drug interactions on either the kinetic side of how it's broken down or on the dynamic side of where that drug interacts. So a lot on the, in general, the horizon, moving away from pharmacogenomics to more so that whole precision medicine approach. And even tapping into that AI technologies and working with biobanking for the discovery, uh, working with our informatics team with getting more of that data embedded into the medical records usable across the lifetime of the patient, as well as be portable to once the patient becomes adult, our pediatric patient becomes an adult, can be applied to their treatment afterwards. And then as well as like the in a later podcast with Dan Eckridge, Tim Bunnell, that he's course predictive modeling, looking at how we can find patients at risk for a certain outcome and minimize that risk from occurring. They do a lot of work on this type of big data. So there's a lot on the horizon for precision medicine and pharmacogenics altogether at the Moors and generally. And eventually we want to, we hope to get pharmacogenetic testing more of a kind of standard of care test, not some kind of fancy special test, but just like we change the dose of a medication based on the patient's liver function or kidney function is very similar concept to pharmacogenetics on how if a patient's breaking down or eliminating the drug at a slower rate, maybe we need to do a dose adjustment. And that's what the, some of the also idea of pharmacogenetics is make it a little bit more, eventually just any standard test that can be ordered. Let me ask this question, just a general question about pharmacogenomics and supporting the mission of, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, the healthiest generation of children and going well beyond medicine. How does that all work together? Kelsey? Yes, I think that's a really great point and something that pharmacogenomics really supports. When we think about, you know, some of the causes of illness and things in our country, adverse drug reactions are a huge burden on society and medical care in general. And so the idea here is that with pharmacogenomic testing, we could hopefully drastically reduce the adverse event rates for certain medications by better predicting who has higher risks for certain adverse events. And then even thinking, you know, on the the flip side is not all patients respond to all medications and we don't always understand why. And by having a better ability to predict who might respond, who might not respond, I think we can just get patients the care that they need faster. So keep getting them, you know, back to feeling better sooner, keeping them healthier longer, just overall improving healthcare in general. And that's across the board, inside and outside of Nemours. Ben, anything to add? I would say that also kind of going well beyond medicine, well beyond that, what we're treating the patient for now and things that they may develop and require treatment in the future. So like I said before, the some of these genes not only tell us about this one condition, but can also tell us information about a treatment for another condition that they may get. For example, the some cardiac medications have some pharmacogenetics implications. They may not have immediate effects on the you know, child at this time, but as they grow older, they do develop have maybe a strong cardiac family history. You know, it might be good to have on certain cardiac medications. So it is you know, still usable now and in the future, well beyond their current conditions. It can be very applicable. So I do want to point out the, the importance of diversity too. 
and looking at pharmacogenomic results and making sure that they are applicable to that population. Unfortunately, a lot of genetic researchers, a research has been done in you know, widely European populations. And some of those European drug gene interaction studies found may not be translatable to other populations. Certain populations may have more of a certain genetic variant that we need to be careful and test for. And so some external labs may not cover that test or that gene. And you know, we may be missing out a lot of crucial information about the patient's metabolism. So I think diversity is very important in making sure that we're following evidence-based medicine to make sure that our recommendations are applicable to different populations. Dr. Benjamin Duong is Namur's Clinical Pharmacogenomics Service Manager based at NCH Delaware. He was joined in conversation by Dr. Kelsey Cook, a Namur's Clinical Pharmacogenomics Specialist and Pharmacist based in Jacksonville. Your podcast, Your Ideas. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast centers on the work and stories of Nemours associates just like you. Our podcast interview schedule for the fall is fairly open, and we'd love to hear from you and your stories of what you do here at Nemours and the people we serve. We do our interviews remotely, so let's hear from you and get your ideas. Just email them to podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Our music today is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. Production assistance is courtesy of Cheryl Munn, Che Parker, and Rachel Salas Silverman. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast is available on Nemours Net, the Nemours Now app, your favorite smart speaker, and any place else you find your favorite podcasts. On behalf of Dr. Benjamin Duong and Dr. Kelsey Cook, I'm Carol Vassar, and thank you, as always, for listening to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.